Today's interview is with author and social activist Sarah Corbett. Actually, she calls herself a craftivist and has written a book for you, the modern activist, about the gentle art of protest. In this interview, Sarah and I discuss how any single person can create social change with creativity, kindness, and respect. We'll also learn how introverts can find ways to contribute without burning themselves out through highly activating mainstream protest methods. This is the Supergivers Podcast. All right, Sarah Corbett, author of How to Be a Craftivist, Gentle Art of Protest. Thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Thanks for having me, Jesse. At, at, the, at the risk of, of being so predictable, I'm, I'm wondering if we can just start for the listeners who aren't familiar with you, you and your work. Um, tell us a little bit about what craftivism is and how you came to create it. Yeah, well, so the word craftivism was coined in 2003 by an American lady called Betsy Greer. Um, And the the simplest form is craft plus activism equals craftivism. And I always say it's a little bit like punk music. You know, it includes all these very, very different craftivists who look and sound completely different, doing lots of different things like punk music is very different. And I focus on doing this gentle protest approach to craftivism. So for me, craftivism is about putting activism as a priority and the craft is the tool. So some Sometimes it's the tool where the process of craft helps you think more clearly because it slows you down. Sometimes we make gifts for power holders like politicians and business leaders and influencers to build a relationship with them as critical friends rather than aggressive enemies. And sometimes we make small, intriguing objects that we might shop drop, which is the opposite of shoplifting, where you drop it in pockets or you have it as street art as a a tool, as a catalyst for conversation and thought my background in activism um so for me it really is about making sure that the craft is the right strategy for activism and can be part of the activism toolkit over time what begins to give you confidence that craft is the right tool for protest like what have you seen to give you give you that confidence yeah, so I've been doing craftivism now for 10 years. I started in 2008 as a burnt out activist. And like you, Jesse, I'm an introvert. So, so many forms of activism are very extrovert, which means that introverts burn out much quicker. And it's not really using um, some of our, our special skills that we have as introverts, um, which I didn't feel was very just in itself. Um, I'm very honest about how craftivism isn't the solution to everything and how we really need to be quite you know challenge ourselves really and and think critically about where is craft the best um, tool at certain times in certain campaigns to use and in different ways and that's really why I wrote the book because I guess you could shoehorn craft into lots of of activism and you could say um you know I'll, I'll knit a giant banner to take on a on a march whereas for the last 10 years I've really tried to hone down where is it most useful how can we use it to fulfill its potential and also so we don't burn out trying to do everything um 
And so I've been yeah, honing my craft in, in craftivism for the last 10 years. And there's definitely elements in craftivism that I think are very different to other forms, not to replace other forms, but often to complement other forms of activism or at certain times um, to use. So I still sign online petitions. I'll still go on some marches if the march has got a very clear ask and it's more about changing a policy or a law than just bullying someone and focusing on their personality, which I don't think is the best use of a march. Um, and I'll still do other forms of activism, but at key times, craft can be um, a really useful tool in that bigger strategy. Um, and you've got my book, so you can see it's quite, it's not that thin. It's got lots of, it's got 18 chapters of different ways that craft can be really useful in activism and where it's not useful or less useful. Yeah, I was just going to say there there's a point in the book that I really liked about the fact that activism can actually be you know, debatably effective if not destructive um in certain ways. Can you say more about how you discern what is the right approach for for a given social change? Yeah, I mean I I recently just did a I I'm a a weekly agony ant for activists for lush times which is you know lush the soap company <laughs> they have an online um like web newspaper um and i went through 10 points that comes out on sunday about how do you tell whether a, a campaign can be as impactful as possible or not and there's huge amount of elements so you know i used to work for big charities like oxfam in the uk i grew up in a low-income area in the uk where i was squatting you know doing sitting in social housing to save them from demolition which we won and lots of other campaigns so I know how important strategy is and how you know one small element of a campaign can really discredit your campaign with the opposition so I think we've really got to like, sort of mitigate lots of risks and be super sensitive emotionally intelligent and highly strategic knowing that things might not work in the end even if you have the perfect campaign strategy um for craft that means making sure that craft is your tool not your taskmaster um and yes you could knit uh you know you could crochet a voodoo doll of putin or a prime minister and you'd probably get a huge amount of likes on instagram and you could call that craftivism because it's political and there's craft involved but i'd really challenge it to say i guess in the short term it might make you feel better but it's quite toxic you're objectifying you're demonizing you're focusing on personality not policy what are you asking actually asking people to change what can they do as a consumer as a as a, a voter as a colleague as a family member and what are you asking these power holders to do in their position so really focusing on what can we achieve what's that vision of what we want rather than just complaining about what we don't want and what we want is it realistic and can everyone be part of that solution so the book goes through all of those elements of what's your vision how are you going to reach it who's your target what's the best way to engage that target I did one campaign where we had hundreds of people make green hearts on your sleeves with the words of what you love in it and how climate change will affect what you love, whether it's wine or chocolate or your grandchild. And that was really effective of a bigger campaign before the Paris Climate Change March to show um, world leaders that lots of people really care about climate change and we helped be part of this big scene. But then I've also done a campaign with 14 people given 
one gift each to 14 board members um, to engage them very intimately, humbly and quietly. Um, and they were mostly introverts to ask them to pay the living wage, which they didn't to their employees. And that was after three years of very traditional campaigning by lots of different organisations. And this one bespoke gift to each of them ended up with the chair of the board taking me aside and saying how it was the most powerful campaign they'd ever experienced when they just got one handkerchief saying don't blow it use your power for good and within 10 months we'd had meetings with them that they'd refused for three years and they ended up paying the living wage to 50,000 staff which they told me directly um was you know was influenced by our very quiet small gentle protest so Every campaign's different. Every power holder's different and mm. engages people differently. You know, at the moment, I'm, I'm working with one organisation in three countries in Africa on a three-year project because we've got a three-year plan to have something in um, universal healthcare in the continent, and that's a three-year plan. But I also have done campaigns where we've had three weeks. So, you know, it's, it's uh, frustratingly, as an activist, there's no easy you know recipe for to fit every campaign and I think that's really humbling and really important for us to remember that activism's hard but it's also really fulfilling you know it keeps me going to know that I am part of the change I want to see in the world I might not see the change fully but I know that at least I'm trying to be a, a good citizen. I love that and one thing I'm getting from you and from the book is that there is a lot of strategy and that's actually an advantage of being an introvert that maybe you slow down a little bit and you're really curious and intentional about the effectiveness of the specific uh, focus that it's and I've and I say that because I live in the US and it seems like every day there's just really reactive uh, and often incendiary action or words that are put out there uh, in the public. I mean, I mean, I'm sure you, you can, it can feel like a part of it too. It's just, it's like, yeah. there's no intentionality behind it. Even, even when people are, are trying to get behind uh, values I can totally support, it seems like yeah. it can be just, you mentioned demonizing, it can just be like attacking and aggressive. And it seems like one of the ways that you've been able to garner some, um, traction with folks is to come at it through a sense of respect yeah and I get it I mean I grew up in an area where you would you could see firsthand people being discriminated against we didn't have a health center you know people from our area would change their postcode on applications for jobs because because that would um they'd be discriminated for that so I see I can totally understand how angry people are and how we should be angry at injustice that stops people or the planet from fulfilling its potential but I also know working for lots of different charities as well as the UK Department for um, Development for International Development I know that quick responses are often not the most effective because when we act out of anger, our human nature is fight, flight or freeze mode. So we have a foggy head and we just scream or we we 
you know um close off ourselves and get nervous or we just freeze and don't know what to do and that's you know activism needs strategy to do it well like any other you could make a wobbly chair and it's still a chair but it might fall as soon as you sit on it and it might be made really unethically or you can make a really beautiful sustainable ethical chair that's super comfy and I know which chair I'd want to do but it does take more effort and it takes self-control but for me it's win-win in lots of ways not only is it more effective to be gentle in your protesting and I don't mean gentle as in passive or weak I very much mean what you were hinting at there of being very careful of what you do and being very compassionate and my um my hero as a an activist is Martin Luther King. So I regularly read about him, read his sermons that regardless of whatever faith you believe or you don't, it's an amazing collection of sermons that really help. Um, And he looks at philosophy and psychology. Um, So I think it's really important that we do gentle protest, not only because it's more effective, but also because it's better for us as human beings. It's much more sustainable so we don't burn out if we don't demonise people, if we don't presume the worst of people, if we presume the best of people. It means that we're not constantly looking at the bad in the world we're focused on the really good stuff in the world and how we promote that and that means that people then want to join our gang because they're like oh they're really positive they want to make a difference they're going to hold firm to their principles um but they're doing it in a sustainable hopeful way rather than what i have been in the past of doing 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 lots of protests lots of demonstrations being part of every activist group I could because I cared about so many issues but being completely burnt out becoming very cynical very angry yeah and that doesn't attract people and it's not sustainable and I think you know for me so much of my activism yes there's strategy there that I've learned over the years but it also comes down to treating people how you want to be treated you know I know that if I scream at a family member they're going to close off whereas if I you know when your a loved one says to you I'm not angry Jesse I'm just disappointed that's so much more powerful Hmm. because you're saying like you I'm sure you do to your child because you're saying I love you and I think you're amazing and I think you can be more kind and wonderful so this doesn't fit who you are you know I'm not angry I'm disappointed because I'm disappointed that you're not fulfilling your potential as a loving human being and I believe you can be that that's much more powerful than saying to someone you're awful um because then you're just creating more division you're making people feel like maybe they can't change so maybe they won't change they'll carry on doing awful stuff you know it doesn't make sense in terms of psychology neuroscience I've with clinicians lots of different people to really focus on what works and if it works to be screaming at someone and demonizing people and not listening to each other for the greater good then I'd be tempted to do that but actually it doesn't work we do need to treat people how we want to be treated whether that's you know given someone a very bespoke gift that's about that includes what their favorite color is rather than what you love down to doing very small intriguing objects where you leave them for people to think for themselves with questions on and they can decide what to do with it rather than you try and hammer home that they should change in a particular way which doesn't work you know we change our habits and our views by very micro um 
actions and activities. It's, it's very rare to change someone's mind by bullying them into submission. Yeah. And it also presumes that you have a really clear sense of what the, I'm doing air quotes, what the word works means, right? There's a real intention behind yeah. what you're doing rather than just relieving stress or anger, which I think a lot of impulsive activism seems to come from at yeah. least here, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, we should say we're against stuff. We absolutely should say, I do not, you know, I am, I do not agree with what you're doing, but just by saying that isn't the whole way, you know, the way our brain works is if we focus on a vision, our brain figures out how to get there. If we just focus on a problem, again, we just freak out and we go into survival mode and we don't know what to do apart from look at that problem. So it actually makes sense for everyone involved. And it also means, I mean, when I was, my dad's a, still a, a local vicar, my mum's a politician. So that's helped me in my activism. But when I was eight, the only sabbatical my dad ever took, we went to South Africa. I was eight years old. Mandela had just got out and we went to see what activists were doing there in church groups and different communities on segregation. Um, and it, you know, blew my tiny mind. But what I remember very vividly was how important it was to say, yes, this person right next to me face to face might have persecuted and oppressed me for decades. But I know annoyingly it might feel, I know that I am going to have to actually work with them now or engage with them on some, in some way to be able to make sure that our, in South Africa's context, their country didn't go into a civil war. You know, they, um, Desmond Tutu and Mandela knew that they needed peace and reconciliation. They knew that their vision of a better world had to include white people and other people who could also be part of that vision of a kind, respectful, healthy country that they lived in. And that's, you know, it can be a bitter pill to swallow because you just want to get the bad people out and get new people in. But when we try and topple dictators, often a similar person pops up. So it really is, you know, my work is about gentle protest, um, more so than, than just craft. All of my activism is gentle protest. And that is about making sure that as much as possible, we can try and get everyone as part of that solution, regardless of what political ideologies you're part of, what different tribes and communities you are. You know, it's much more effective long term and it's a much kinder, more hopeful way to be. Awesome. I'm going to change gears if that's okay. Yeah, and I'm waffling, Jesse, so feel yeah. free to cut me out at no, any No, no, it's great. It's great. People people are tuning in for you, not me. So um, in your book, How to Be a Craftivist, you share a lot about your journey as an introvert searching to make an impact. And I know you you mentioned earlier about burnout, and that's well documented in, in some of the work you've put out there. So I'm wondering if you're willing to share what you've learned through through some of your challenges and self-discovery that you'd want introverts to know uh, today if they were if they were looking to make an impact yeah good question um so much and I'm still learning more you know I only realized I was an introvert a few years ago and it really you know was a big click for me it made me feel like oh it's not 
you know, I always thought for years, why am I always burning out more than anyone else? I care just as much as people, but why is this draining me of energy, you know, getting people to sign petitions and being part of activist groups when for so many other people, you know, they really gain lots of energy from it. It really made me doubt myself and doubt my effectiveness and whether I was skilled in activism or not and whether I could be a good activist. So, you know, that really scared me quite a lot because I do want to make the world a better place and activism has a big part to play in that not the only part but a big part um so for me it was really looking at okay we're working introverts where have we got different skills first thing I always want to say is my sister's an extreme extrovert I'm more of an extreme introvert and highly sensitive person and she's an incredible activist but in different ways so I think it's really important for any extrovert listeners or ambivert where you're in between listeners to know that introverts aren't better we're just different just like you are so my sister's incredible at mobilizing her friends and family and colleague to go on a big march and do chants and sing songs and do lovely protest banners and and party you know afterwards whereas she's not so good at being on her own a bit like me and you Jesse we like being on our own and really thinking deeply about an issue and really being curious of what's the core problem and how can it be fixed and who's part of it and you know really tinkering around I love being on my own and I love looking very deeply into an issue and ask lots of questions to try and help with that strategy but I also need people like my sister to be like okay you've done enough of the planning it's not going to be perfect now you need to do some of the doing as well um and I'm you know for me as an introvert I love one-to-one conversations much more than big house parties. I really like asking people big questions, which sometimes scares people, but I love those very intimate, deep engagement questions. And that makes me really a a good lobbyist. You know, when I go and meet my local politician or, um, you know, a, a minister of a of something or a CEO or anyone that we're trying to sort of influence to make the right decisions and be part of solutions. I know that as an introvert, I am really good at that because I am nervous of conflict. So I'm not going to go in and be very loud. I'm very curious about people. So I ask more questions than demand things. And I am a practice putting myself in the shoes of other people in terms of empathy and trying to understand where they're coming from doesn't mean I always agree with them um but it really is you know I think introverts can be really good at those intimate one-to-one discussions and build trust with people and be very humble we often don't like being you know being looked at or being part of a big performance which can really help with some of that trust with power holders because then they see that we're not doing it for celebrity we're doing it because we want to serve the cause you know I'm, I'm still very nervous of speaking to people where we might be voting differently because I don't like conflict so for that other person because I'm you know visibly quite nervous um, and sometimes embarrassed or shaken a little bit you know I'm not doing it for the fame or because I enjoy challenging them it actually makes it more effective because they can see oh wow her motive is you know she clearly doesn't want to be here at this meeting but she cares about the issue and she's treating me with respect and doing it quietly Um, and I think that really jolts people you know when you do quiet intimate 
conversations and asking questions rather than demanding answers it jolts people and it's much harder for them to ignore you and say we can't talk to these people they're screaming at us or they're throwing bricks or they're just shouting at us they're not listening because we don't do any of that naturally as introverts it's much harder for them to ignore us and then when they do ignore us it makes them look bad rather than have an excuse so I think there's a lot of power that introverts have of doing that deep research and reflection and strategy and those intimate conversations. Yeah. <clears throat> and as you're talking, I'm, I'm reflecting on my own experience in, in self-discovery, which that's one point I heard was simply no matter what your personality holds or your energy holds, it pays to really know yourself deeply because then you can align your strengths with what the job entails right so thank yeah thankfully you know there are people who have lots of energy for different aspects of all types of work and especially we're talking about activism because some of us just don't have the juice for it <laughs> yeah and i mean i think i think with it though we also you know i'll be devil's advocate a little bit you know everything's case by case so if something happens and it needs an urgent response and I have you know I can make some difference in it more than another campaign or then I will push myself out my comfort zone and I will think okay if there's a, a demonstration outside a particular embassy tomorrow that would really make a difference and needs lots of people and it has a clear strategy and I can go to it then I'll say okay I know I'm going to be tired after it but it seems like a really important thing to do but I also will look at it as the bigger picture of but where is my power and time and influence and, and skill most use, most needed? But I, I won't. So it's always this balance, which I think life is, isn't it? Of you want to serve the world and be of service and be of use to particular causes, but also make sure that you're not burning yourself out for it. Make sure that, you know, you're looking after yourself. So I get a little bit nervous when people say, well, I'm an introvert, so I can't go on that march. It's like, well, if that's the only thing on offer, maybe you do, or maybe you say, well, what else could I do that would complement or strengthen that march that might be good more for introverts who can't go? I think, you know, everything's case by case. So I don't want people to listen thinking, well, I'm just a march person, so I'll just go on marches. You know, my sister's a march person, but she still challenges herself sometimes to have those big conversations with a power holder that she feels like she can she can make a difference in. So I think it's all case by case. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. And at the risk of belaboring this, I I think a lot of people who may listen to this can at least empathize with the dilemma and the stress that happens when, um, in, in our political climate the last couple of years and, and throughout modern U.S. history, the protest march, the public you know, gathering has been a really common way that people identify with activism. And, yeah. I, and yeah. I know, myself included, there are people that are torn every time there's an opportunity because they say, oh, wow, this is something I really believe in, yet yet um, I just don't know if I'm up for it. Or um, yeah. Even if they do, I mean, I, we could have a whole side conversation about the, the effectiveness of, of marches probably. But even if they're like behind the concept of a march, it can, it can be really stressful. And then there can be a, almost a shame component to yeah. sitting out Definitely. because they don't see the other options. Have you found yeah. that? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I feel definitely in the past and sometimes even now feel that shame movement, mo moment of 
I really want to go, but I'm exhausted. I've got all this other campaigning to do. Should I go? If I don't go, what will people think? You know, and now we've got that extra layer of social media. So if you don't post up, you were there. People might be like, why weren't you there? Mm. You know, but it is it's really challenging and I think you know activism is difficult and I think it's really important we see that there's so many different ways to tackle it in you know in different contexts as well but I think for me it really comes down to what is this march for who is it targeting the right person has it got a clear demand that can make that person or that organization accountable and also is it done in a way that won't be discredited so you know a few weeks ago in the UK you might have seen that Donald Trump did visit our Prime Minister Theresa May and there were big protests outside um, with a balloon of a baby Donald Trump and lots of banners um, and for me I felt like it wasn't a, the best use of energy and time for people. And yes, we need to get our anger out. But we don't have that much control over Trump because we can only vote for, for our government. It wasn't what I would have loved is a, a march or a protest like that, but saying, you know, Theresa May, we do not agree that you've invited this man to our country. These are the principles we believe in. We want you to be in line with them. And many, you know, and what he's saying is not what we believe in. But it didn't have those messages in there to make anyone accountable. So sadly, it was very easy for the opposition or people that didn't agree to say, it's just bleeding heart liberals having a moan. It's very immature. We're not going to engage with them, which is such a waste of people's time and energy and you know people traveled all over to go to it and yes there was solidarity there in that small group but it also I felt very uncomfortable I don't have children but I thought we are bullying a human being here like it, it's very hateful so how can we do it in a more loving compassionate way you know again coming back to Martin Luther King his his campaigns that him and his the civil rights movement created were so powerful because they were graceful because there were silent protests because there were very clear strategies of we're going to sit here on this day to get the media to see this image or we're not going to fight back so when people see on the tv people get beaten up it's going to be horrific to see because those people being beaten up aren't aren't fighting back you know it was it was horrific to to watch but also made it more powerful because it wasn't screaming and shouting and fighting for power it was saying we want to be equal we're not trying to take power away from you we want to be equal and we want to live in a better world with everyone and coming back to the craftivism I get a lot of people saying well I don't like craft um but for me you know I I wrote the book and I have all of the kits and I do what I do because it's a really useful tool for everyone whether you're introvert extrovert loud quiet um you know people of different ages and backgrounds I do workshops and and um people can do projects on their own or in groups with our different kits and the amount of emails and letters I get from people saying not really into craft but this really helped me think stuff through or you know making your little mini scrolls that are, are paper craft so lots of handwriting in little ribbon and putting them in an item of clothes you know a friend's item of clothes to get them to think about who made their clothes and what's the story behind their clothes is it a torture story or a loving one you know while I was writing it I was thinking oh my word I don't know who made my clothes so now I look into it there's lots of different elements of where I think craft 
should be part of the activism toolkit if it's done in a, a gentle, you know, strategic way. Um, and sadly, there is craftivism out there that's that can be hateful and transactional and reactive. Um, but I think it, it can also be a really powerful thing. And I was just thinking about um, how I appreciated what you said a, a second ago. Um, and in the book, you talked about how some of the actual act of crafting helps the mind slow down and chew through and get clear on and, and focused on what the intention is and what you know what the approach is going to be. So it's actually a strategy to to really uh, embody yourself a little bit more clearly too. Yeah, I mean, I think it's amazing. It was the first thing, you know, I I didn't learn craft at school. I like to paint and draw, but I never saw myself as a craft person. But I picked up a cross-stitch kit to go to Glasgow when I worked for the Department for International Development in the UK. I was traveling all over the country and I picked up a cross-stitch kit because I was burnt out in my job. I was educating and training young adults to be effective activists around the country um, and I loved it but it was exhausting and I picked up a cross-stitch kit because I was online so much and reading reports and I missed making with my hands and I knew I couldn't paint on a train because it would be a mess um, so I picked it up never thinking this would help with my activism but I immediately noticed just by separating the thread you can't you can't do it super fast. I now know there's a quicker way to do it, but I don't teach people that way. You know, separate in your thread. You have to do it slowly so it doesn't break or not up. And you immediately noticed you're very mindful of your body. So you immediately notice how you're feeling. So I hadn't made time for years as an activist to realize that, oh my word, separating this thread, I've got really shaky hands. I've got really tight shoulders. I'm, my breath was very shallow because I was anxious and burnt out. So the, the you know, using your hands really helped me be aware of my body as well as the baggage I was bringing st to stuff. So using a repetitive hand action and you're physically making a mark in something physical, which is naturally very empowering, but you have to do it carefully. Because it's repetitive, your mind can wander off and you can get into the flow, which is what lots of people do who love craft is to get away from the world. Whereas I found it a very comforting tool because you're using your hands, your head and your heart to ask myself uncomfortable questions that if I was just sitting on my own, I could easily go in a downward spiral if I wasn't making my hands busy which you know we know now from psychologists and clinicians that there's evidence for that as well of using your hands helps you think if you're using it in a repetitive action um and the craft because you don't need to think too much about your hands moving what it's doing because it's a repetitive action i could ask myself really uncomfortable questions like can I be an introvert activist? How am I treating people? Am I just forcing people to sign lots of petitions so that I get lots of names? Or is that actually the best use of time? The, the process of craft on your own, as well as in with groups of people, can be an incredible way to slow you down, calm you down, think strategically while you feel empowered because you're physically making something which is very different to a lot of other forms of activism you know where you make something once you know what you're doing the, the process of craft can help you really engage deeply with you know 
is it right that I'm demonizing this person? Or am I presuming that they want to do harm in the world when actually they hadn't realized what they were do the impact they were having or put yourself in the shoes of someone and you know a politician and think well they're incredibly busy people so will they have time to do this to engage in this campaign so how can I make it memorable deeply engaging and show them how they could be part of the solution rather than just presume they're twiddling their thumbs and they're you know or they're they're ignoring what I'm doing you know it really helps with that empathy so the process of craft I think is is really you know quite unique um to to activism that other forms of activism don't you know help with those elements of creative thinking well, I'm guessing many of my North American listeners would be curious to know if you're if you're willing to share, are there craftivists in the U.S. that are um, making statements in the current political climate that that you think are particularly effective? Um, and if I mean, not, and if not, you know, what opportunities are you seeing from your perspective on on uh, that Americans could be doing? Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult one. I, I bury my head in the sand a bit because I got so much to do. So it's hard to keep on top of everyone else as well. I mean, I work a lot with the scouts and the girl, the girl guides in the UK and different charities with public collaborations and private consultancy. And we have our kits that people can do all over the world. I mean, one of the reasons I wrote the book really was to, to challenge craftivists to say craftivism isn't just craft with activism like we can do it well we can do it badly so let's really especially in this current climate and where we do have so many platforms where our voice can be heard more than ever before and engage with people let's be really careful on doing the best craftivism we can do so there's definitely elements of stuff that I think are amazing but sometimes like I'm a perfectionist as well and I'm as brutal on my campaigns as other people um on other people's but I think you know I the thing I loved about the the pussy hats so the pink knitted hats that were like little cat ears I loved the fact that it brought crafters together and it showed the world that you know knitters and people that make craft are not these weak older ladies you know we're strong powerful women that have a voice and want to share it and and people feeling part of a global or a American movement against something I thought that was really incredible and visually really amazing I'm doing some events for the British Museum at the moment around activism and they have one of the pussy hats in their exhibition which I think is is really amazing to see and it shows the power of visuals of handicrafts of how you know it shows commitment when you hand make something so whether you agree with someone or not you can see that they really care about this issue my concerns around it were it could it was quite divisive in some ways it was you're with Trump or you're against him you agree with us or you don't you know it could be seen as quite politically you know political parties you're you're creating division between Democrats and Republicans which which worries me um and there wasn't I have craft of thought questions in all of my craftivism projects where I have at least three questions that are bespoke to the strategy of that campaign where you think about you know 
what are your values and how do you thread them through what you do as a consumer, as a, a voter, as a as a citizen? What are you making and what do you hope to get out of it? Is it a gift for someone and what do you want them to do? Or if you're wearing it, what you know, what do you want people to then take action for? And there wasn't those craft of thought questions. So you could easily make a hat and not think you could do it while you're watching TV and not think about, okay, this issue around sexual harassment and a president that's been doing that. How do I engage with that locally? How do I make sure that we don't say that that's okay in my office, in my community? How do I teach my children how to do it? How do I, you know, try and get this person out of the office, but also speak to my senator, you know, vote with with my money, do all of these different things? It felt like it, it could slip into being transactional of I'll make this and I'll wear it and that's my bit done. And I think we know how complex the world is. And it might be that some people were thinking those big questions, but a lot of people I've spoken to um, hadn't, you know, facilitated a discussion while they were making it or on their own saying, okay, we're going to make this hat, but what else are we going to do? And how do we focus on the solution um, and not just um, have a spotlight on the problem, which of course we need that spotlight. So I think, I think there's many more layers in a lot of the craftivism I've seen that could be put into place is my concern really without sounding like a big downer. I think there's a, a lot of really interesting stuff, but lots more potential. Um, and it's, you know, it's easy to cross stitch a swear word um, in something and say, this is awful. But for the viewers, we need to think about what will empower them to know what type of action to take. Because if we just say this is awful, you know, someone on Instagram or someone that sees it in a magazine might go, it is awful, but I don't know what to do. So now I feel more disempowered and more overwhelmed. So I think we really need to help take people on a journey and be a catalyst and provoke discussion rather than just preach. I think we've got to be very emotionally sensitive around all of those elements to to fulfill the potential that I think craftivism can have. What What's a, a moment in your craftivism career that stands out as being particularly successful? I know you mentioned briefly the the living wage campaign yeah. in the UK. Is there another one? Um, yeah, that yeah. You're, they're particularly proud of. So I don't have, if you go on my website, craftivist-collective.com, I don't have that many projects. And that's because they've all got different goals, different audiences, some are issue specific, some you can link in with your own is issue, but they all have different strengths for different sort of um, I always see activism as like a big jigsaw, um, an issue is a big jigsaw and you've got lots of activism jigsaw pieces to put in there to help it, you know, be solved and, and make the world how you want to see it. Um, so all of them are sort of those jigsaw pieces of have got strengths and weaknesses in different things. So the living wage was amazing to hear directly from the board members that it did influence their decision. You know, it was sad to hear from them that they weren't thinking about the living wage and they'd refuse to. But by making these bespoke, humble gifts um, with a very robust argument saying why the living wage helps in terms of it made business sense as well as it was dignified for their employers employees you know 
that knowing that that worked was incredible and often we don't hear that from power holders often they'll say we haven't influenced them when we might have or vice versa um, and that's you know important to know and I discussed that in the last chapter of the book but another example is um, we make these mini fashion statements which are paper craft they're very small little scrolls they have an embossed pair of scissors stamped in it because there's um, lots of elements around sensors so if you use two or more sensors you're more likely to engage deeply and remember something so touch as well as reading is really good so we get people to handwrite one of three messages um about what's the story behind this item of clothing is it a joyful one is it a torturous one find out who made your clothes and join the fashion revolution and i love fashion revolution as a campaign organization they're global and they're incredible very well respected within the fashion industry and outside so it, it was made sense to be in line with them and not another organization on sweatshops but what works really well with that was less those intimate conversations because you're shop dropping little scrolls saying please open me with a smiley face and a kiss on the outside all ribboned up for people to open and you put them in shops that you think could be more ethical in the pockets of their clothes for people who buy from those shops to find and not to be judged but to try and encourage them to be curious and I'll never know the impact of that on purpose because we leave it up to them but what was powerful with the impact of that was we got um a double page spread in the Guardian newspaper and on their online website which shared over um 3,000 times we got uh, on the, the the home page of BBC News which is one of the biggest news websites in the world um, and we also got into smaller fashion magazines who tend to not acknowledge the ugly side of the fashion industry because we had very beautiful hopeful images with very thoughtful questions saying let's all be part of the solution um, and I think that was very powerful but in a different way so we have people making them all over the world but we got into media that sometimes don't cover the fashion industry and to audiences that might not be thinking about how they can be part of the change and because it was support and fashion revolution there was a very clear journey that we were offering them to say you can be part of the fashion revolution they've got a website with all these different things that you can do whether you're an introvert, an extrovert, have got two minutes, have got 10 minutes. So I feel like that was very successful as part of a bigger campaign. And we do it year on year um, and people can do it any time of year. So, I mean, all of my campaigns, I try and um, make sure I'm tweaking them to be as effective as possible. But those two are, are two different ones that I think can show that very different um, impacts that craft can have for activism. Great. Thank you. I want to summarize all the the ways that people can engage with you. Um, so you've got you've authored the book Craft How to Be a Craftivist: uh, The Gentle Art of Protest. You've got the Craftivist Collective, um, which is cra which is craftivist-collective.com. Is that yep. right? And then Sarah has a TED Talk, which is how I came to um, be aware of her on introverts and activism, which I highly recommend along with the book. And you have, uh, oh, and you have the Activist Whisperer, which is your online, this is relatively new, uh, weekly column. People can just search that. Yeah, and then I'm asking people to send in their questions. Yes. So 
any questions you've got, whether you're overwhelmed and don't know where to start or whether you're stuck on a particular activism project you're doing, it doesn't have to be craft related. Um, I've done four so far, so you can have a little gander and then do send your questions in. Awesome. And what I what I noticed in looking up your website and trying to contact you, it looks like you've got sort of a community of craftivists. How do people yeah. how do people if they feel called to participate? Uh, how do they get involved with you in that? Yeah, so really different. What I love is we've got people all over the world from Thailand to, you know, London where I live and people set up their own groups and sometimes do our projects or create their own. You can just use one of our kits and do it on your own in your bedroom without telling everyone. Um, so there's very different ways you can do it. And it's all on the Craftivist Collective website of how you can get involved. And it's in the back of the book as well. So there is no excuse for people not to have a go, whether it's on your own with your friends or find a, a local group or even set one up. Thank you. And I'll make sure all that stuff is in the production notes of this podcast. So if you're listening to this, scroll down and check that out so you can get hooked up with um, Sarah's amazing resources. Sarah, is there anything that you and I have not touched on that you'd like to before we end? Um, I mean, as you can probably tell listeners, I can ramble on for hours. So I guess it's just, you know, if you're interested, find out more. There's lots of different talks online. But I really want people to know that craftivism is a useful tool in the activism toolkit to pick up at certain times, whether you're skilled at craft or not, whether you like it or not. I think it can be a really powerful way to improve our world. So have a go. Yeah. And one thing I'm taking away from this that that I have taken away each time um, with your book and definitely with your talk as well, and really getting to know you more in this interview is that um, craftivism is about like aligning integrity with expression of truth in the world. And even though that can sound like a bunch of fluff in, in the modern day because so much truth is is just discarded, that this is really important because I know myself included, many people get really discouraged about action uh, yeah. if, if they can't align with their integrity. So I really appreciate yeah. that point that there within your principles and your approach here that there is space for you if you're if you've been discouraged in the past and you've only seen a couple options for taking action in the world that don't really fit your value set. This is a way to open your mind and your heart to um, being yourself and not having to compromise who you are. In fact, in fact, it sort of depends on you being your best self in order for it to, yeah. to work, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's what I love about it so much is gentle protest works because it is you. You know, if we want to make the world a more beautiful, kind and just place, then our activism should be more beautiful, kind and just. And we should be more beautiful, kind and just. So, you know, it totally all for me, it's a no brainer is that activism should be done in this very loving, honest way. Um, and it's actually more effective in that way, which is which for me is a relief to hear. <laughs> hear, hear. Well, Sarah Corbett, thank you so much for being a guest on the show and thank you for the wonderful work you're doing in the world. Ditto, kiddo. <laughs> to find out more about Sarah's work, go to craftivist-collective.com and make sure to check out her book, How to Be a Craftivist, The Gentle Art of Protest. My question for you is this. 
After listening to Sarah's approach to creating change, what in your life already qualifies as activism? And what cause would you stand up for if you knew you didn't have to be hurtful to do it? This has been the Supergivers Podcast, and I'm your host and producer, Jesse Johnson. To hear past episodes, you'll find the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. If you're inspired enough to write a brief review on one of these platforms, please do, they help. You can learn more about me and my work at supergivers.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.